as we consider each of the vessels, I want to just share what initially came to my mind as I meditated upon each one. I don't mean to overly define them, but to create room for you uh, to find your own meaning in each of the faith vessels. When I first thought of the bowl, I imagined as we enter into this season where Jesus is turning his face toward Jerusalem and all that he will face there, I imagined the bowl that Pilate must have used in order to wash his hands when he was trying to separate himself from his own guilt related to handing Jesus over for death. And I wonder how often this happens even today that people feel like if I just stay away, if I stay away from the church, for instance, if I stay away from those people who are a part of that community, then maybe my own shortcomings won't be felt so deeply. Maybe I can sort of keep myself from my own brokenness, from my own sin, or convince myself of my innocence, or at least convince myself that I'm not as guilty as some others if I just stay away. Because the thing is, getting anywhere near Jesus tends to reveal my own sinfulness, my own brokenness. So I'll just stay away. I'll stay out of the community. Pilate found himself in the presence of Christ, and it wasn't long before he began to realize his own guilt. So he took a bowl of water, and he washed his hands. But this never works. The sin is ours, but not the absolution. Lent calls us out of our hiding, not because we are innocent or can make ourselves innocent, but because God is in the redemption business. So the bowl Pilate used to wash his hands of his own guilt is the same bowl that holds the water of our baptism. The same small bowls which now hold the ashes waiting for our foreheads. And the cross, which had always been an instrument of public shame and torture and death, is now a symbol of hope, renewal, and redemption. Nothing could be more common than a plate. I am the bread of life, Jesus says more than one time in the Gospels, and it means something different each time he says it. We've had two funerals here at Prince of Peace in the last couple of weeks. First with Art Kwame and then Ken Caney. And both of these services were followed by a funeral luncheon out in the Welcome Center. Everyone took a plate and broke bread together in a, in a meal. And those funeral luncheons are somehow more than just a meal. They are part of a sacred liturgy, really. There is something special about breaking bread together. A faithful group of volunteers puts the meal together and serves it. 
Christian compassion in the form of goulash or ham sandwiches. Those are your two choices. We went with goulash both times in this past couple of weeks. On Sunday, Transfiguration, Elijah showed up along with Moses to the left and the right of Jesus. There was a moment late in Elijah's adventures with God when he was completely defeated. He lay under a broom tree and pled with God to take his life from him. He had had enough. This is how it is told in First Kings. But Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. And then Elijah lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. And if you had happened upon Elijah right at that moment, right there, you would have probably concluded that this was finally the end of his epic adventures with God. Probably the end of Elijah altogether. But you would have been wrong. The passage continues. Suddenly, an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. Elijah looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. Elijah got up and ate and drank again. And then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. So off Elijah went. Even when Elijah himself could only see scarcity, the God of abundance provided God's abundance is neither hindered nor dependent upon our ability to believe it exists. The bread of life. As we move through this Lenten season toward Holy Week, I look forward to Maundy Thursday as one of the most meaningful and moving services of the entire year. A group of our young people, as uh, usual, will take their places at the table. They will begin the lifelong journey of receiving the sacrament of Holy Communion. This is my body given for you, Jesus says, my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. And there in that upper room, on the night in which he was betrayed, Judas, the betrayer, is at the table. Peter, the soon-to-be denier, is at the table. James and John, the sons of thunder, who will ask for the right hand and the left hand of Jesus as he comes into his glory. They're at the table. You and I were there because we are here. This chalice knows no boundary of time or place. It takes the form of a hollowed-out piece of wood or a gourd or an animal horn. 
It is sometimes fashioned from gold and precious jewels and lifted above the altar by popes. It is a metal cup offered by chaplains on the field of battle. The chalice has only once been lifted by a person worthy to hold it. And here's the thing, it is lifted for you. For you, shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sin. After the chalice will come a water jug. Water jugs actually pop up quite a bit in the scriptures. And one that comes to mind involves a Samaritan woman at the well. Apparently shunned by her own community because she was there at the well to collect water under the heat of the noonday sun. So she was there alone with her jug of, uh, to gather water in the heat of the day. She represented not only a, a foreigner on foreign territory, which would be strike one, she was a Samaritan. They were not uh, friendly with the Jews. They were considered enemies. Strike two, she was a woman. Jesus was a rabbi. He should not have been speaking to her, certainly not alone and not in public. Strike three. But on that day, Jesus ignored all of these boundaries. Or probably more accurately, Jesus intentionally crossed all of these boundaries to reach this woman and by extension to reach you and me with this good news. By the end of her encounter... This Samaritan woman was in such a hurry to get back to town and tell the people of her encounter with Jesus, you must come and see for yourselves to share this good news with the very people who had shunned her from her own community. She was in such a hurry to get back to town that she left behind her water jug. Our final vessel is a heart. In First Samuel we read, For the Lord does not see us as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. It seems like a slight clash of cultures to have Valentine's Day fall on the same day as Ash Wednesday, and pastors all over the country are trying to put this together in creative ways. Uh, I saw... I shared earlier this morning, I saw a meme on a, one of my pastor buddy's Facebook page. He said, uh, it said, so what are your Valentine's Day plans? I have to work and remind everybody of their inevitable deaths. So, <laughs> so there's that. So to be honest, the origins of both Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday are a bit muddled. Uh, and in some cases, especially in Valentine's Day, shocking and quite troubling. I will leave you to research that on your own. Um, 
But since around the time of the Reformation and, and Shakespeare's writings anyway, Valentine's Day was romanticized along with the heart as a symbol for romantic love, which it has maintained uh, that. But I think the heart also still serves as a metaphor that points to deeper truth. Uh, remember how we used to say as kids, cross your heart, right, to test the veracity of what was being presented? Or if we were really serious, we added something. What was it? Cross your heart and hope to die. Now we're getting to Ash Wednesday. The Bible speaks of the heart hundreds of times. The heart believes. The heart hopes. It is at times deceitful. Other times honest. But the meaning varies. But is generally referring to some understanding of our truest selves. Our hearts. In this way the heart represents the whole person. Psalm 51 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. We love it so much. It's been part of our ancient liturgy for generations. Those who choose to receive the ashes will hear the words, Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But first, you hear the promise. This is my body given for you my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin for if you have been united with him in a death like his you shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his the sin is ours not the absolution so we've come out of hiding and we came over to the church, not because we are innocent, but because God is in the redemption business, the heart cleaning business. So we face our own mortality, but not as those without hope. <laughs>